Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Chilluminati Podcast, episode 231. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Mike Martin, joined by my two beautiful boys and from Los Angeles, where it's one day the earthquake will send you into the ocean and I'll never see you again. Dark. Jesse and Alex, how's it going? Uh, I'm introspective now. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think like uh, they'll welcome me with open arms? The, the sea peoples, the sea, the, the Silurians down there. Oh yeah, yeah. Is that how we find out mermaids are real? The ones that I are like hope, half a mermaids, monkey on a fish. For fish, mermaids are hot. Dude, I'd fuck a mermaid. Absolutely. How though? In what way? Does, I need what? specifics. Actually, we shouldn't. This is <laughs> the first few seconds. I'd wait. No, we don't worry about YouTube. YouTube is not what our concern is. I just want to point out for the record. I literally have the very first line of my script for today is. Maybe something to listen to with the family this holiday season. So just, we're already off <laughs> oh, to a great skip, start. Just skip this to the point where the episode starts. You just Hopefully you're listening to this episode before you get to hang out with your family. And speaking of hanging out with your family, head over to patreon.com slash pod <laughs> where you can hang out with your online parasocial family, Alex, Mathis, and Jesse, uh, who uh, you-, you don't know, but it feels like you do. And if you want to keep us going, if you want to keep this train a chug, chug, chugging ahead through the winters, the, the, these sparse winters, uh, you know, head on over there. And in return, you get ad free episodes. <laughs> you get a mini zone with every episode. <laughs> what else? You get bespoke what are- art. <laughs> what else do you get? Faces on our mini so That's right. You get a video oh, version. God. You get rotten popcorn episodes. If you're on the highest tier, you get the t-shirts whenever we launch a t-shirt, which a new one is already in the works. Also go buy our coins because they sold out. So go buy more. We're getting a second run. Yep. Ad free episodes. You name it. There's all kinds of shit in there. There's all kinds of good shit. And yeah. you know what? I'll even change the $10,000 tier temporarily. If you get it the, uh, after this episode, the three of us will be your Christmas uncles. Yeah. And I'll write you, I will write you a postcard. I'll, I'll go buy a postcard at the local store Ooh. and I will write you as your uncle and I, you know, have a great, or whatever holiday you're celebrating. It doesn't have to be Christmas. If- I'll write it like I'm an, like a 18th century landowner. Ooh, okay. I'll be like, the winter's here in Cox Farms are so, so chilly without your presence, my dear. The war of northern aggression <laughs> continues as they march <laughs> south to Dixie. Well, where are you? So you're a confederate, or is that what's happening, Jesse? <laughs> Look, I, 18, I figured 18th century landowner. Well, actually, that'd be 19th century, so <laughs> yeah, whatever. 18, 18th century was just, they weren't even ashamed. Here's a question. Is it against Patreon TOS to be like, if you join that $10,000 tier, we'll send you a $5,000 gift? No, we can do whatever we want. That is so goofy and amazing. Is it, I, if, although it may be against Patreon, if, just okay. a heads up. Just yeah, a heads up. If it is, you should. Nobody should do this. But if it isn't, game on. We'll buy you the most sick, twisted, a cold nightmare you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> it's just me showing up and like with a doll. <laughs> it's Matt is dressed like the Jersey Devil, and he has like a taser. <laughs> <laughs> patreon.com slash pod uh that may or may not be real check it out uh it's a great website and it keeps the lights on we'll, we'll leave the light on for you that, mm, that's we legally can't say yeah because you leave the light on for us we, we will if you are afraid of the dark we will consider leaving the light on for you there you go that works <laughs> nice sweet this is exciting. It's a treat day. Everybody loves days like today because it's Christmas is almost here. The holidays are in full swing. And our gift to you is a Jesse episode. Gentlemen, 
audience listening at home. I figured today I would do something light and fun. Maybe something to listen to with the family this holiday season. <laughs> so today we're starting with forest gods, death, ghosts. How do all these crazy things end up being associated with December, the holidays, and Christmas? Well, my dear friends, that is what today's episode is about. Because I wanted to take us to a place that I love in the world of mythologies and cryptids and paranormal. The like, what's really going on here vibe? Where, you know, when you think about people walking on the ice in the north and they're told there's a monster under there that's going to pull you under. Like, what was the real moral here? And so, for this special holiday, I want to talk to you about modern Christmas and how we got to where we're at. Because, like, in its modern form, Christmas is certainly held to be kind of like the religious holiday celebration of Jesus' birth, that kind of thing. But it's also just a day of, you know, hanging out in the secular world as, like, celebration. and Pajamas, really big coffee mugs. Uh, yeah, podcasts about it, that kind of thing. Things that smell like a Yule log in my pants. What? Exactly. Christmas. And, you know, for the religious part of it, I mean, it literally is named Mass on Christ Day. So, like, it's not, it's not too hard to figure the whole thing out. Editorial note here. Just want to put this out there. Well, every year, there are plenty of folks who are like, it's time to put the Christ back in Christmas. Uh, the message of Christmas, as far as I'm concerned, is one that I think Jesus would support of, like, yo, be good to each other and treat each other well yeah. and like hang out with your family and like get a, give a <laughs> gift to someone like that kind of thing. Just put it out there. Is there a version of the Bible where all of Jesus's quotes have like kind of like casual slang added to them? Dude. I yo, think so honestly, there's the King I hope James so. edition. There's the, the Nazarene council edition. Then there's the Chaluminati edition. Yeah. There's the, the Cheech and Chong edition. Yeah. Yeah, it's, great. <laughs> it's just, everyone's way more chill in this version of the Bible. Yeah, All the same that. shit happens, but everybody's just like, whoa. All right. <laughs> That's fucking cool. Dude. Cool. Yeah. Just feel like if we could focus a lot more on that part of Jesus rather than I mean, like. I, I'm not religious at all yeah. and I celebrate Christmas. My whole family's not religious, but we celebrate Christmas because it's about hanging out with each other and spending yeah, time and enjoying everything. Yeah. yeah. It's about love and just general kindness. It's about bringing it's like, an actual living tree into the middle of your house and staring at it and covering it with lights. Uh, I, I have of, a, do you boys do real tree of Jesus. or fake tree? Uh, I've done both, honestly. All right, what about uh, nowadays? Do you have a tree in your in your apartment slash house nowadays? It's it's got to be fake for the Alpal. It's way my house is way too small for a real tree. Yeah, I, I have a little baby, little, little okay. tiny ass little baby tree that can fit like six ornaments on it max. <laughs> I invested yeah. in like a pretty nice fake tree a few years ago. I don't regret it at all. I I don't regret having to mop or sweep up pine needles yeah. every week. Do you feel like a like a good Christian when you have a Christmas tree in your house? Does it feel Christian? Not with the decorations I put on it. Oh, oof, I didn't know that's where we're going. You know what? Let's we'll, we'll get to that all. I'm very excited yeah. about this episode because it's a it's a fun one. So, um, you know, if the day of Christmas is at its core about the birth of sweet little eight pound four ounce baby Jesus, why? Or was it four pound, eight ounce? Yeah, go watch. How do you go they watch figure that, that out? They like, they hook them up to like a meat hook and see how many buckets 
a lifted meat hook? up to see how much baby Jesus weighed? Like, how do you figure that I out? I was going off the joke from Talladega Nights, but like, whatever works for you I've seen fine. that movie one time when it released. I don't remember anything well, about it. That's what I was going off of. I don't <laughs> think anyone actually knows anything about baby Jesus, but we'll get to that. A meat hook. So, you know, so if it's about a sweet little baby, why does it have so many crazy themes baked into the holiday? Well, because uh, it's Christmas is complicated. Very complicated. Yeah. And it's history to get where we are today is a long and winding road. And it's one that we're going to travel in this episode. And one that I think starts centuries after Jesus. Sorry, JC. This is not an episode about you. This is an episode right, about the real Christmas. ones out there. Pour one out for Jesus. Yeah. Sorry, JC. Even though this is about Christmas, it's not about you. That's in Easter fact, though. This is his birthday. He lived on, on Christmas. Still well, not about you, bitch. We'll see. We'll see, buddy. Jesus, oh. Jesus ain't a narcissist. He doesn't care. Okay. And that's absolutely that what's crazy about that, and I know you're joking, but that's kind of true. true. The <laughs> fact that birthdays as a whole weren't the focus of life in Christianity or Judaism. As far as early Christians were concerned, and we're talking like 1700, 1800 years back, we're talking like 2000 years ago. Celebrating being born was wacky. They thought it was weird and 100% pagan stuff. Like there's no reason to celebrate someone being born. There's absolutely in the Bible, no hint of people just randomly celebrating birthdays and there's not really writings. They aren't self, talking about it. Self-importance at all, right? Like you don't yeah. really care. Like you don't matter. You're part of like a plan, right? Like that's that. That's the whole, vo- I the pity whole point. every baby born every yeah. day. Yeah. Uh, according to the book, lore of birthdays, <laughs> Uh, the original concept of celebrating someone's birth, it, its roots were in witchcraft. The idea that on the day of your birth, all the well wishes and greetings gave you like some kind of power and the concept of birthday cakes and candles and all that stuff. It's all magic. It's like uh, ancient magic in ancient Greece. Candles is- on cakes were used to celebrate Artemis, the goddess of moon and hunt of wild animals and childbirth. Right. Even up to um, the point where, if I may just interject history wise, um, we're even talking like 1800s in the U.S. There was still a lot of ritual magic that people were doing, even in the name of Jesus. It was all very built in. In fact, um, uh, back when uh, who's the Mormon guy, the guy who created Mormonism, Joseph, Joseph Smith. Smith, Joseph Smith, very much involved. If you do a lot of deep digging on him and like learn about his family and his his history and what he was doing and who he was working with before the Mormonism thing, there's a lot of like folk magic that lingered. And still kind of does like it didn't go away. And I sure. assume that's kind of the topic of what we're getting into. Well, in ancient Egypt, mm-hmm. they loved studying the stars, positions of stars, uh, which gods were associated with which days and which stars and all of it lined up to your birth. And basically what they would do is based on the position of stars and what God was there, they would create your life path on your birthday. And so your destiny was linked. So it's like astrology to your birth. Yeah. Basically ancient Egyptian astrology. And they took birthdays very seriously. And it wasn't really a part of monotheism early on. Polytheists loved birthdays, celebrated them like crazy. Um, you know, there's all these different guards, gods and all these different things. And in monotheism, in early Christianity, they were like, we don't want that as part of our religion. The whole point is that, we don't even care about when you're born for hundreds of years. Um, you know, people celebrated Jesus, right? But it wasn't a birth kind of thing. It, it that's just something that happens to everyone, right? That's the concept of like, everyone's born. It's like, why is it important? Um, you know, what's crazy is that that kind of means that 
uh, at least in this regard, Jehovah's Witnesses are much closer to original Christianity and their practices than uh, modern day because they don't celebrate birthdays. They don't they don't think it's important at all. They don't really recognize the holiday stuff. It's interesting. It's just even though there's very much a cult like mentality with I think it's like only 143,000 slots in heaven or whatever it is. So, yeah, but it's interesting that like that aspect actually is closer to original Christianity than. Do you think of birthdays as a Christian thing? No, no. But I think the I idea of celebrating celebrating Jesus's it. birthday, I guess Jesus's birthday. Yeah, right. Is is like the focus of this. But I don't think it's I think um, birthdays celebrations in general are popularized now because just depending on what you're at in life, where you're at, um, it's a celebration of like, you know, I love my kid. And I want them to, I think it's more of that than, oh yeah, you know, a religious thing or a social thing. It's just like, it's fun. It's fun to do. In fact, early Christianity, uh, for a long time had their own kind of birthday. It was one of those, like, you may celebrate birthdays, but our birthdays are cooler. Basically they were like, everyone is born. That's lame, but martyrdom that's special. Mm -hmm. And that's your real and true birthday. And they would be honored to have a birthday a la Jesus. So dying for your beliefs, way cooler than just being born and getting well wishes. That's so metal. You got to earn those wishes. In in high school for me, um, you know, around the time of like Columbine and all that stuff too, martyrdom was like a big topic in my school and about like how proud they were of the people who died. Cause the, I know it's not true anymore, but at the time there was that story of like, I think the Columbine shooters asking if they believe in God. And if she said, you know, yes, they shot them. They killed no. them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which story. isn't actually really true, but that was huge in high school for me. That was like a lot of that a talk, especially in religion class was focused on how like amazing these people were and how God would reward them and all this stuff. Like it's still very big. You're probably wondering at this point. Okay. So if they aren't celebrating birthdays. How 2,000 years later, in December of 2023, are we celebrating the birth of Jesus by gifting presents under a tree visited by a man with flying reindeer, right? Like, how did we get there? So let's go back 2,000 years to Rome. And around this time of year, especially right now, they'd be celebrating what is called Saturnalia or Saturnali. Depends on uh, which one you want to read, but it doesn't matter. Sounds like a kombucha. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The festival was held in honor of the Roman god Saturn, who not only threw righteous parties, but got a planet named after him. Saturn is the god of time, wealth, agriculture, liberation, generation, and his mythological reign was considered the golden (laughs) age for all. And his festival, Saturnalia, was a celebration of all that. And more importantly... It was a beloved Roman holiday. And in fact, it was a Greek holiday before called Cronia, which is Kronos, which was the titan of time and all the exact same things basically as Saturn. I kicked that dude's ass and got a war. And what I love about this is it goes to show something we're going to see today, which is most traditions that we have, even to this day, morphed and changed and adapted from other cultures in the past. And their roots stretch back like thousands of years. Real quick, just some like basics of Saturnalia. First off, it was a very, very popular holiday. For the most part, Romans had plenty of gods and plenty of days and plenty of ways to commemorate them, but they didn't happen every year. It would be kind of like, if we're feeling it, we're going to do it. But Saturnalia helped, uh, happened every year. 
And it was just absolutely like raunchless. It was just absolutely debaucherous or what? Well, so it was big. It, it, depending on the emperor, it would be anywhere between five to seven days. Sometimes it was two, but it'd be. Oh my God. Pretty big. And the festival focused on the winter solstice, the darkening of the days. It would start around the 17th and then on average end on the 23rd. Sure, it was a public holiday. And it was one for families to celebrate as well. But really, it was like a private thing. You In the home, you would, you know, prepare this private celebration. You would give gifts. Um, and there's straight up records of gift giving. And I wanted to include this because I, it's amazing to me. But just as an example, they give wooden trinkets or exotic animals. Or, again, because slavery was definitely a thing in ancient Rome, they'd gift people. And to prove that nothing changes, and I absolutely love this must i needed to include this there's a translated book called catalyst the poems and in that it's just a bunch of poems from this dude catalyst and in in it he has one called what a book where his friend calvis gives him a book for saturnalia and he hates the author and his response to getting the book is if i didn't love you more than my eyes most delightful calvis i dislike you for this gift he then says, you won't get away with this crime. When it's light enough, I'll run to the copyist bookstalls. I'll acquire books from writers you hate and repay you for this suffering. Dude, I love it. I, humans haven't changed. Did Benjamin Franklin write this? Yeah. I, I, maybe it's the translated version of like the ancient Roman dude. So yeah. maybe. He's just like, you're lucky. I love you, you shithead. And I'm going to get you something so much worse. So yeah. just like, wait, it's great. It's such a human reaction. It's like the vibe of those two guys from uh, Love Actually. <laughs> And then Saturnalia also had a really wacky bit to it. And this, I think, is what you're going to talk about, like the debaucherous stuff, Alex. Yeah. Where it was, um, at first, like the bi- first big thing is no togas. Get rid of the togas. Instead, we're wearing the most colorful, wacky outfits we can find. Basically, ancient Roman ugly sweaters. Then, like they, they just dress like garish? Yeah, on purpose. That's great. And, and, I, and I would have to imagine, because it's based off the solstice, it's a dark time. The, you know, the sun's going down earlier. It's getting colder crops. You know, it's harder to get those crops, right? They're just acting out because they need a little release. And so it's like, all right, togas, get them out of here. Let's get wacky. Meanwhile, things like, um, role reversal would, would happen. So every Saturnalia, I don't know how much of this is. a full role switch but basically masters would become slaves slaves would become masters i have to imagine there was a limit you know what i mean yeah, i don't think they'd about- be like yeah yeah you control everything i don't think that's what happened but you know the the, the masters would serve the slave food or More allow figurative. them to make the rules of the house for a day they're like oh uh, look he's doing it we're giving oh he's to- oh look he's yes yeah like they're not actually giving kind of control. Feel to it when they're you think not about actually it, you know? giving control right it's just like it's like, uh, what's the movie? The Disney movie, right? It's, silly. Um, it's opposite day. Yeah. Hunchback of Notre Dame. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It has that same vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, in yeah. fact, they, they would pick a ruler for the festival and it would be in the home or in the city or whatever. They'd pick a ruler very similar to that, like King of Fools bit. Um, and what it was, it would be a child or, you know, the woman would be in charge. Crazy. You know, or slave like, would be in charge. Dude. Right. Yeah, and then something with boobies. Then what they do is they gift each other these basically early holiday cards 
with various quotes and sayings on them uh, as part of the ritual. And then what would happen is the person who was in charge, they basically said that they were a micro emperor. And unlike real Rome, which was there was an emperor ruling over the order. This was there was an emperor ruling over the chaos, which is why there was it was always topsy turvy day. Right. It's that kind of thing. So it's like Satan. <laughs> uh, I guess maybe if you want to make it biblical, but yeah. it, it was none of that. It was just like them acknowledging that their lives are so regulated by the Roman Empire. That for this time period, let's get crazy and forget about all that. And we instead will be regulated by like the five-year-old, like that kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was still order. The emperor was still like, don't mess this up. I'll kill some people. But in that moment, they got to have some fun. In order to really kind of understand what they were going for, it's just this thing that is this. I think for us, right, when we think about winter. It's colder. We got to put on a coat. It's going to get dark early, but really our lives don't change that much. For most people up until I would say the 1900s, winter was rough. One of the hardest things to live through. People died in the cold all the time. There wasn't enough food. So the way to understand this is this is an emotional release. These people are like, that still happens out here in Texas though. Like you tell me that's, that's a, still not, that's not that's supposed to be not a thing anymore. Wait a minute. <laughs> Hundreds of people died last year. Yeah. It shouldn't happen in a society where we can make it not happen. But for these people, even if they wanted to, they couldn't prevent it. Right. Which is why for most of history, most people in big civilizations lived in places where it was warm most of the time because the more north or south you went, the colder it would get, and the more it would mess you up. Anyway, from the 2nd century AD to the 4th century AD, Rome did its Rome thing and went around conquering the known world, or at least trying to. And this one's for the gamers. Rome was like World of Warcraft in that it is at its best when it's taking things other ha- others had done and making it a part of its own empire. Warcraft is like that with game mechanics. Well, they'll just borrow them. Air quotes from other MMOs. Rome was the same thing with everything from daily worship to like society to construction to every- they would just went around like, that's a good idea. We'll use that. And they made it better somehow. That's like what they did. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's important. It's like nothing wrong with not reinventing like the wheel. It's okay to take the wheel and be like, the wheel's great. Let's just like shine up the wheel a bit and do that. Yeah. And it's, where would it's, you say we are in, if in the state of World of Warcraft today, where would you say we are in the history of Rome? Uh, I mean, just out I of would curiosity. say we're definitely post Byzantine. Like, <laughs> Constantinople is already built. We're uh, wrapping it up, you think? I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the like, music's playing and Jeff Keeley's looking right at your eyeballs. Look like he's going to time to get off the stage. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how close we are to like the last dudes riding horses versus tanks, but like, I feel fair, like, fair. You, know, you know, it'll eventually happen. So this explains again, why Roman gods are similar to Greek gods, right? They're just renamed or how ancient Egyptian ideas ended up being things in Roman life that they really fixated on. We've talked about this before on this podcast, and I think we should always say it because it's so fascinating. Ancient Rome for us was 2000 years ago. Ancient Egypt for them was 2000 years ago. You know what I mean? Like to them, ancient Egypt was their ancient thing. They were like, whoa, those guys were crazy. Far enough away to be unimaginably different, right? Like, yeah, your brain can't wrap your mind around it. The exact same thing. If they had ancient TikTok in Rome. They would be having videos like, how often do Roman men think of ancient Egypt? It would be that vibe. 
Yo, I went to 1425 AD and all the Romans were gone. Every single Roman was gone. (laughs) I went into a baseball stadium and there were no Romans in there. The Colosseum was empty. (laughs) So in the second century AD, Christianity is still a thing. 200 years after Jesus, you know, it's not a huge thing, but it's a thing. And there's multiple little groups popping up all over the place. And the Romans saw some merit to it. They were like, okay, all right. All right, Jesus. And it was during this time. That a dude named Sextus Julius Africanus. Yes. Uh, what a fucking great name. I yes. Love that name. Yep. <laughs> Say that one more a time. Man who Say that name. I'm going to, going to the state house tomorrow, and I'm going. You have to <laughs> Is talk. Your name is Sextus Julius Africanus, and I'm going to see if I can remember it. I'm not writing it down, and I'll let you know what my name is next week. Sextus Julius is my nephew. My new, Julius my new Africanus. nephew with the vampire teeth is going to be named. Uh, this is a dude that we don't know a lot about. But we do know that he traveled all over Rome and more importantly, all over the known world. This guy's whole life was he went to Asia. He went to Europe. He went to Africa, like his name says. And eventually he settles in Palestine. And in 222 AD, he's made the regional ambassador to Rome. And according to Encyclopedia Britannica, he becomes protege of Emperor Severus Alexander, which is also that's the evil. That's Alexander the evil instead of Alexander the great. (laughs) Severus Alexander. He was a Warhammer <laughs> Emperor. Uh, during this uh, time, yeah, I think I came across him in Rogue Trader, actually. Yeah. Emperor Severus yeah, you Alexander. Know, it's weird. He's got like one of those robo skulls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's there for the machine god. It's pretty crazy. Um during this time in Palestine, he was just like living his life, talking to the people. And at some point, I don't know when this was, I don't know what sparked this, but he decided to set about creating the Chronographiae, which is a five-volume text on all the sacred, all the profane, the entire history from creation to the modern day, including everything the Romans picked up along the way. Everything. And we're talking Greek mythology, Judaic, Judaic history, uh, tribal ideology from Europe, Egyptian and Chaldean chronologies, timelines from the Bible so much more. Basically, this dude was trying to do what Mathis does with aliens, ghosts, and cryptids, and trying to find a way to combine them all into one How dare big you? story. One big girlfriend. How dare you? I'm just trying to bring truth to the people. Trying to lift the veil from your eyes. You're trying to lift the skirts of the cosmos, is what you're trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> and this dude is the first person, as far as we're aware, who gave Jesus a birthday. Um, again, because he wasn't Christian, he was just like a normal Roman dude. So birthdays are like a thing for him. And he said, going through it all, that a good day for this was the 25th of December. Uh, as you know, as we said, Saturnalia went from the 17th of December to roughly the 23rd, sometimes longer. But on the 25th, after all that was over, they celebrated a festival called Dies Solus Invicti Nati, or Day of the Birth of the Unconquered Sun, which basically is a celebration that, like, we made it through the darkest days of winter. It's going to get better now. That's what it was. Whoa. And what's great about this, which I'm sure sexist Julius Africanus thought about, was like, it's super fitting if you're a Christian and you're celebrating Jesus' birthday. He probably thought, like, this is a great place to put it for people who are Christian. And so he marked it down the 25th because he's like, rebirth of the sun, birth of the sun, checks out. (laughs) And so that's what he did. Obviously, um, you know, there's a 
many questions about whether that's even could even possibly remotely be accurate, but like to this dude, it doesn't matter. Um, the big problem for Christians at the time was them recording Jesus's birthday. They were like, nah, what, what are you talking? Like first, this seems like some sort of appropriation association of a pagan holiday with our Christian moment. And we don't want that. Like, this is a huge moment for us. It's a big part of the Bible. And y'all are just like, it's on the 25th and it's very similar to Saturnalia. And so they were not pleased with that. It just fits, man. It just fits. This the same ambassador shit. should just be named Michael Scott, man. He's just writing his own fucking shit. This is yeah, his, he like, made his own stuff. Michael Scarn script. Again, Sextus, not a Christian, just like a Roman dude living in Palestine at the time. Yeah, exactly. He's just a dude. And for and for the record, I think most scholars assume Jesus must have been born in the spring because of shepherds and sheep, which like mm, wouldn't be okay. around in winter. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's what they assume. But like, does it matter? Not really. At the end of the day. No. However, it wasn't until the fourth century AD that Emperor Constantine, the first emperor who just openly declared his support for Christianity, really pushed the idea forward. It was this guy that was like, okay, we're going to be a Roman Christian empire. The funny part is, and I absolutely love this because just listen to this. This is so good. No one really knows what his motives were for all of this. There are many many opinions about what he was really trying to do. Uh, was he really a believer? Right? Cause at this time, again, Christianity, not huge. He made it huge. He spent so much money making it huge, but not really huge. And this story is again, just so many good story history in history. I love this. He wasn't baptized until right before his death on his deathbed. And according to one of the stories, what, which is actually great. I love this. People are like, why did he get baptized right then? Why wait? And he said, if he waited to the last moment, he can't tarnish his freshly baptized soul. So he's definitely getting into heaven. Dude found a loophole. Dude is a genius, bro. Holy <laughs> shit. I was like, whoa. He's like min-maxing the rules. Raised Rome. I was raised. Again, I've said it many times. I was Roman Catholic specifically. Um, but the, the whole thing is if you're not baptized, your soul goes to purgatory. You just get yeah. stuck in the forever waiting room and never get to go anywhere. Doesn't matter if you died like from coming out your mom's hoo-ha. It doesn't matter. If you weren't baptized, the rule is purgatory. I mean, that's why if you look at um, all the famous things like uh, Dante's Inferno or uh, mm. like all the famous texts that deal with the afterlife, most of the, the Greeks and Romans and all those people, most of them are either stuck in purgatory or they're in like the top levels of hell. Yeah. And they had no say in it. It's just like, them's the rules, That's dummy. just the rules, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating. But for uh, the Romans at the time of Constantine, I guess, you know, they were, they were starting to convert. Was it forced? Was it not? Who knows? At this point, who cares? But eventually Constantine was, you know, putting out all the positive Christian vibes. He's like, we're going to change this and do this and fix this and take it to the world. But it was troubling because, like I said, Christianity wasn't like a big organized thing at this time. It was straight up just multiple little tiny groups of people worshiping in their own ways. Um, very similar to, I would imagine, the United States. There's a lot of like variations on the idea. And even more so during this time. And, you know, he was 
trying to figure out, all right, what do I do with this? Because I can't say we're all Christian and try to make people Christian. They're going to be like, well, what does that mean? How do we celebrate? When do we celebrate? What do we celebrate? It's just a PR disaster is what this all is. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. not much thought went into it, but I imagine when you're emperor, not many people are like, excuse me, sir, should we uh, work this up before you just declare <laughs> you out the fucking that window, you're yeah. full-ass Christian? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so he's totally overwhelmed by the, the whole thing, and that's why he creates and summons the first Council of Nicaea to work through the doctrine of what the entire Roman Empire's Christian, Catholic, whatever ideology is going to be and figure it out. The next thing, he, and this wasn't like the big one that sort of codified everything. This was just, we need to get all get on the same page. Yeah. And so the next thing he did was suppress all the other religions. He's like, we can't have this new thing if people are still on the old thing. This involved everything from changing coins to changing buildings to tearing down buildings. Um, he was not a fan of it, but there was a lot of pushback. So he couldn't like completely do everything he wanted. Then like Rome always does, they kind of went out and pushed it to the people. And the more they conquered, sure. They took things, but now instead of taking things back, and only leaving them with like Roman control. Now they were saying, Hey, you're Christian. And people are like, what is that? What even is that? How does it even work? And uh, again, another crazy story that I found is that um, Constantine wrote to all the kingdoms nearby. And uh, one of them was the Sass- the Sassan- Sassanian peoples. Short. That's how you say that. Is that the Assassin's Creed uh, folks? The Assassin's Creed yeah. peoples. Brotherhood. And um except it's Sass. They're the sassy peoples. Is the Sass Sassanian people. Oh. Anyway. Okay. He messaged them and said, Christians around the world are under Roman protection. Treat them right. And so this dude, Shapur the second, the leader of one of these groups, literally just made the decree to arrest the chief of the Christians that live there, keep him in prison until he agrees to pay a ton of tax. Basically, he's like, yeah, no, we'll protect them, but they owe us a lot of money. And then, I mean, you're Rome. Everyone around you is like, we hate Rome. And so he's like, we're, but it just, the man just made it more complicated. It just made it way worse. What the hell? But it spread. It's cause of Constantine that it spread. And for the long road ahead of many, many hundreds of years, you know, it, it was a, it was a thing that Rome tried to do. And then we go back and forth and they change stuff up, but. It was at this point, it was what many people consider to be the biggest change in Western society, where up until this point, most of Western society was like, we have like 50 gods and they're doing all this stuff. And then this dude comes in and says, because I'm in charge, I'm changing it to monotheism. Deal with it. And that became sort of the big change in in the future of what the world would become, at least in the West. For our purposes, however, the close proximity of Jesus's Roman chosen birthday to Saturnalia and Constantine's big push and funding of Christians' beliefs and churches, etc. In Rome, it's why these two holidays slowly merge together and the idea of merrymaking and celebration and gift-giving and feasts were combined with the birth of Jesus. And I actually think, again, it the synergy is pretty good. It fits together because 
the Magi show up in the story with gifts for Jesus. And so it feels like one of those things where probably Sextus is sitting back like, I did a good job. (laughs) This is just literally like when a producer comes into your project who's got like totally different goals than you and they just want to get their hands on it. And they, you know, they're more invested in the short term than the long term on it. And they make a bunch of changes. That's the vibe. Yeah. Except in this one, the changes somehow like fit with what already existed. And yeah, it's different than what the original message was, but somehow it's just like, okay, it's easier to buy in. I don't know. Maybe that's why it was so successful. It's because it's so easily adapted things that already existed that it was so successful for people to embrace it because they didn't have to really change much about what they were doing. It was just the focus of what it was. I honestly don't know. It's fascinating. I was looking it up because I I swear I thought uh, Constantine was given sainthood because of his actions and stuff. And the Orthodox Church apparently is considered a saint, but he is not considered a saint elsewhere, though. Some kind of consider him like an unofficial saint because because of him, Christianity was able to flourish. Sure. It's interesting. I'm just curious. I'm sorry. Just random fact that I no, no, it's good to know if we're historying this episode, let's do it. I am just Um, curiosity. But, you know, the next like I said, the next few hundred years, it was kind of back and forth, this and that. It wasn't until the ninth century that it was even considered a major holiday like Easter or Good Friday. Again, like I said, this was about birth and most Christians only cared about the martyrdom and the death and resurrection. So it wasn't it wasn't like a big thing for people, despite the fact that everyone celebrated it. It would be kind of like when you think of holidays we celebrate now. Think of one that you're kind of like, all right, like I'll take the day off, but like I don't care. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like that kind of thing. Yeah. Also, last bit. Here we go. His mother, Helena, did become a saint because she was responsible for his conversion. Uh, uh, and because of her efforts to discover what? the true cross, she is considered the patron the patron saint of archaeologists and new discoveries. Which also, Whoa. having Catholics have saints and saints being like specific to things and praying to certain saints for certain things. I didn't know that was weird until like I got out of like, you know, stepped out of the Catholic school and stuff. And that's very, in my opinion, it's very pagan-esque in that you're like, you are praying to these specific people who kind of wield God's power through them in this kind of supernatural way. Like if you lost something, there's a saint that you can, you pray to, to help you find whatever you lost, like that kind of thing. I mean, even in this country, even though it 100% isn't about the actions that occurred, mm-hmm. St. Patrick's Day. Same yeah. thing. We all celebrate oh, yeah. it, whether we acknowledge St. <laughs> Patrick and getting snakes out of Ireland <laughs> yeah. or not. We're all like green beer, green shirts. Let's get drunk. <laughs> it's a celebration of that dude. There's no way Halloween is like traditional, right? Like just like packaged branded candy. I actually don't really know. Yeah. I don't know the origins of Halloween. Oh, yeah. But like All Hallows Eve, that whole thing. I mean, it's a thing that exists. Day of the Dead. But yeah. again, that also relates kind of to Christmas. And we'll get there, which is crazy. So. As Rome expands, they brought more and more of their traditions and customs into the fold, and those customs over the next 300, 400 years morphed the celebration again in ways that we consider Christmas to be today. The Christmas tree, for example. How on earth do we end up with a tree as part of Christmas? Well, legend is that Scandinavians and Northern Europeans who were converted to Christianity just continued to use them because at the time it was used to scare away evil spirits. And to house, uh, like they put baubles and stuff in it, but at the time it was like food and things for birds to eat during winter. 
and they just convert it. It's like, yeah, instead of scary winter demons, it's the devil. We'll scare away the devil. <laughs> and there's like a lot of different variations on that and that story. And I'm sure there's a million different versions of where it really came from. That's kind of the vibe. The first actual recorded information we have is from the Renaissance humanist Sebastian Brent in 1494, who basically says that people would start placing fir tree branches in their houses. Um, and the idea of bringing it indoors, as far as I can tell, is because of a popular play in the Middle Ages about Adam and Eve, where they use a fir tree to hang apples to represent the Garden of Eden in the play. And so people were like, oh, that's fun. Let's bring it inside. So that's what the tree is? The ornaments are apples? Yeah. From the Garden of Eden? It was the play. Yeah. It was a popular play in the Middle Ages. So the Christmas tree is Christian imagery? Yeah. Because in the... in the That's fucking crazy. In Europe, me. they didn't have... Like in the winter, they don't have trees that they can hang. There's not like... You know, it's not like there's palm trees or trees. It's fir trees. That's it. That's all you got there alive in the winter. So if you're doing a play about Adam and Eve, you're putting that down. And it becomes a symbol of kind of what they were doing. That's crazy. Um, over the course yeah, of the 16, uh, 1600s and 1700s, it, beca- it became more and more of the tree we know today. And the symbolism about the tree, it all sort of like went from, oh, this is a thing we're using in a play because it's all we have, to we're going to tie stuff to it to make it more justified. So adding a star, adding candles, all those different things were added to it to make it more relevant to the holiday because originally, again, it's just what was there and it was used as symbolism. It's kind of like when you think of the devil, right? If, if you are religious in any way, or you just know of Christian imagery, most images of what we think the devil are come from paintings and books and anything but the Bible. It's all expanded universe stuff. Like it, it really is. It's all additional things added. And I stand by my say- statement. I would fuck Satan. He's hot. I would fuck Satan. Uh, in the Bible, he's the most beautiful. Like he's, but there is no, and then Satan turned into a hoofed creature that's red. And he's like, yeah, I'll poke you with my stick. Like that doesn't exist. No, doesn't that imagery though come from book of revelations where there's descriptions of like the beast and maybe people are mixing kind of like that and Satan. Oh, sure, sure, sure. There's, there's definitely some, again, Book of Revelations is fire. You gotta read it. It, it is, is such a, one dude, of the coolest things. It's the, comic book level. The only it's part wild. of the Bible when I had to read it, like growing up as a kid that I was like, this shit's cool. What the fuck? Yeah, is it's that? pretty crazy. But I think most of it comes from people probably taking that as a starting point and then painting it or, uh, you know, Milton in it, right? Where Milton has this whole crazy ass, like, this is what the devil looks like now, like that kind of stuff. It's all fan fiction at this point, which is fascinating to me. So then once we have this sort of tree thing going on, right, we get closer to what Christmas is today. And the reason why I'm like stressing all of the connections to winter solstice and the combining of beliefs and the inclusion of peoples from Northern Europe and their interpretations and all this stuff, the gift giving, the merriment, all of it being associated with Jesus's birth is because this was all again in the winter. And like I said before, before the 1900s, or I guess today in Texas, winters were terrible. You weren't celebrating because it was like a fun thing to do. You were celebrating because you were relieved that one, you were living through just how hard of a winter it was. Two, you were trying to forget how terrible it is in winter because you're like, well, we got beef jerky and hardtack for another two months. Or, you know, you're just trying to celebrate and have a release 
to what's going on. It's just one of those things that like works. It just like works like a balanced activity that's like mm. in harmony with how the world works, right? Like that's the whole point. Yeah, which absolutely. Page, which saint do you think I need to pray to for a stable power grid in Texas this year? Uh, is there a saint of electricity? I don't. I don't. If they if there was, I was never taught about him. Maybe maybe there is. I saint of lightning. I don't know. Barry Allen. <laughs> Barry, yeah, St. Barry Allen. So again, if you lived in winters, it was rough. It was, it was really rough. Chances are sometimes you didn't live through winter at all. So a lot of these celebrations were taking place when it's cold, it's dark, you're low on food, you're high on booze. And it's not just the celebration of you know, the birth of Jesus or whatever. It's the celebration of making it through another winter and laughing in the face of death. And you can say Jesus being born adds to that, right? And one of the things people would do when laughing in the face of death or darkness is scaring the crap out of each other. It's a spooky time. There's ghost stories. That's why Christmas ghost stories are famous. They're some of the most famous ones because during this time period, everyone gets together it's gift-giving focus. There are children present. And children, and I think most of us, love to get scared at some point. The, like, scary story is popular for that reason. It's exciting, yeah. And one of the oldest traditions around the winter, sol- winter solstice was the wild hunt. This concept of, a, a pagan concept, by the way, of ghosts, of this ghostly procession across the sky during the winter, winter solstice. You could, like, look up and see it. Now, could it be Aurora Borealis? Probably. But it's this idea of just like, ooh, we're going to get you. Beowulf is literally the oldest surviving horror story, potentially ghost story from this type of celebration. Definitely if you don't know what that story. is. Yeah. yeah, it's a Scandinavian tale about a prince who fights the monster Grendel and has tons of, like Grendel is literally described as a spirit or death shadow gliding across the land. It's so cool. According to the Open University, in 1611, Shakespeare wrote The Winter's Tale, which includes the line, A sad tale's best for winter. I have one of sprites and goblins. Two uh, centuries later, Mary Shelley, as a teenager, writes a snowy wasteland story called Frankenstein, and it becomes one of the most popular stories in the world. She was a teenager? I did not know she that. She was a teenager when she wrote yeah, she's that. She's supposed to be like 19 years old or 16 years old or something. And there was a, she got challenged to a contest to write the best story and she wrote that. Yeah. I don't know how real that is, but that's, that's the deal, right? Yeah, I guess she wrote it. The thing is, she wrote it in the summer in Switzerland. But the fact that she used the winter as the scary, because again, winters are terrifying. Yeah, they suck. Up until, you know, recently. We we have it pretty damn good considering. Oh man, seasonal depression is pretty rough to deal with. Whoa, know. wait till we get there, my friend. <laughs> I've included it. In Victorian England, they specialized in talking about this modern, jolly, fun holiday, and then taking all the old stories and combining them with that because they love the idea of behind every happy moment, there's something lurking and waiting to get you. Not because they believed it was going to get you, because it was Victorian times. They just liked to get scared from crazy stuff. So they would take things like Christmas and add a scary element to it because it's one of the happiest holidays. Everyone's like, eh, Merry Christmas. I'm going to go get a latte. You know, like, and they're like, no, but that latte is a ghost. They <laughs> loved that stuff. 
I don't know, man. Victorian times are dangerous too. You could scrape yourself on a nail and that could just be it for you. Um, again, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. <laughs> I think we just take a lot for granted that the last couple of generations of humanity have had, at least here in the West, let's be very clear on this, have had it pretty easy considering where we came from. Specifically when, you know, in 1947 when a UFO crashed and things got really good for us, but that's a different conversation. Well, well of course. <laughs> this, in the Victorian period, this, this was the time when A Christmas Carol was published. A story that has a happy ending and a wonderful message, but is literally about ghosts and ghouls and time travel and death and all sorts of stuff. It's a sick story. I love it. It's a pretty good story. This adaptive style of combining the celebratory, right? All these things that we've taken from history and combined with it over the last couple hundred years, the scary stuff has been brought into that because as we become more modern as a society, we've had to be less and less genuinely afraid. And now we can have time to just be afraid for the fact that it's fun to be afraid. Sometimes like human nature, we like getting scared sometimes. And that scary aspect of Christmas mixed with the ancient, not just religious, but also like communal aspects of Christmas. It's what makes it such an interesting holiday. It's both joyous and religious and stressful. And now it's taxing and expensive, right? But also we have this acknowledgement as a species that we're still kind of hardwired to be depressed and a little overwhelmed by the cold and the darkness and the lifelessness around us. And just winter sucks. And that's why there is such a thing as seasonal depression. It exists because it's built into who we are as people. We are just like, I need to hibernate. <laughs> There's, there was a time period where people would get in the house and just stay in the house. It sounds so appealing. Because outside, they would freeze to death. What are you going to do? Like, I mean... If you're out like in the north of any like anywhere above like whatever parallel it is, like what are you literally supposed to do? Like what like how could yeah. you how could you literally remain productive? Like yeah, you know, that's what I tell people when they ask why I never leave the house. I'm just trying to connect to my ancestors. <laughs> well, it's just more like it makes so much sense why like in modern times when nothing ever stops that like the holidays are associated with like depression and not wanting to do mm. things and being burnt out and just hating life. And I think it's because of that. Cause you don't get to sit by the fire and eat your sausages that you made all year. Yeah. You're just doing what you did in the summer, but cold now. Yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, you're just like, cool. All right. <laughs> and it wears you down. I think Alex is right that for a long period of time, if you were a farmer, life would shut down for you. You'd eat the food that you made two months ago and put in like salt. And then you'd sit inside and drink for three or four months and you'd be like, yeah. all right, back to work in the spring. That that's what we did. We shut down as a society because it was just easier. Yeah. I mean, we, we've talked about before, but we as humans live completely counterintuitively to how we are built to live. Like we're not supposed to have a nine to five and sleep at night. We're supposed to nap through the day and and you know we humans did a lot sounds of, like some sort of indictment of capitalism oh no no i would never i would never please sorry jesse didn't mean to interrupt continue I, I, but i think that no matter what it is you celebrate about christmas be it the day or the religious aspects of it or just the fun of of the red and green and all that stuff it all comes from this long history of humanity where Starting back at our, like, we're in the forest, our pagan roots, all the way through to today, 2,000 years of history has led us to what Christmas is. It's 
both happy and fun. It's both like spooky and weird. It's both this thing that is religious and also not. And it's one of those things where, you know, as we acknowledge all of that, you can take time to understand and see why it's so widely celebrated, even by people who are not invested in any way in Jesus at all. It's a fun thing to celebrate. And it's because of the way it's weaved through culture and all the things we put together to make it one of the biggest holidays of the year. It's a whole month of things. And during this month, there's also other major holidays occurring, but for much of the world, it's still the thing people put up everywhere and celebrate and show off because it's fun and it's ingrained into all of society because of all the things in history that made it a part of it. And I love that that is kind of the story of one specific holiday. And it's fascinating that it is what it is because of 2000 years of change and adaptation and adjustment to make it what it is now and who knows in 2000 years it may not even be a thing the fun of it too is how rigid it does feel now like how traditional and unchanging and ancient of a holiday christmas feels like you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. at least when i've been alive like for a couple decades like christmas hasn't changed that much in terms of how it's celebrated but it has of course like in ways that you can track even but like i don't know like it's interesting to me that we ascribe like the magic of Christmas or the power of something like Christmas is like that there is this meme of this day that's powerful that everybody cares about that's on this day. And even though it doesn't exactly keep the same meaning at all times, there's something about this like one thing that all of life that, uh, you know, of our species is like decided is important for like certain reasons in certain parts of the world. And it seems to be almost like a natural thing we do. Interesting. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. There's a lot, like, not to get too, like, introspective on humanity, but it's interesting looking, like, there's a lot of humanity that you, like, look at now, and you're like, oh, that's actually just kind of the same as it was a thousand years ago. We just have technology instead, you know? Like, even America, as an example, is what I would consider an empire, you know, in the same way that Rome may have been. They had states. They had, you know, their own individual. We have way more freedoms, obviously, than than maybe Rome did back then, but... We kind of always... They got the winter off, though. Just saying. That's true. They got, t- they got more days off than we do. That's real. Yeah, human- humans always kind of fall into similar roles of like, you know, there's the serfs. Now there's just the, the the lower class, the people who, you know, don't in capitalism are just kind of getting fucked. And now instead of having like the merchant entertain like like class, now that's like where middle class kind of is. That, that upper middle class area is like the merchant class, quote unquote, where they get some of the finer things in life but they don't live in a castle like the fucking king does. They might have a bigger house, but they don't live, you know, like hand over. Yeah, they're not a duke. Yeah, exactly. And we still have all that now. We just call it different things. It's all humanity just takes old things and just wraps them in new terms and tries to adapt with the modern day kind of tools at our disposal. Yeah. And it's interesting to see that, you know, Alex was talking about Halloween, right? Halloween Hmm. from where it is to where it is now. It's so much more commercialized, but it's more fun than what it was. If we think about like what Halloween was originally, like that's more serious people throwing it's, cabbages it's, at each other. People like, uh, you know, it's not, it's not a great holiday to start. And we made it more fun. And again, cause we took the spooky bits, which is very similar to Christmas, but reverse. We took the spooky bits and said, well, how can we make spooky fun? And Christmas are like, how can we make fun spooky and add sort of like a supernatural element to it? And they just, 
flipped it, which I think is why people relate and love Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's both combined. Yes. And even to parts of the world, there's Krampus, man. You know, and Krampus is fucking spooky as shit. Yeah. That's actually like Loki, a pretty good movie, too. Yeah, like, he's a scary dude who used to who used to actually hit, hit, whack children, you know, back in the day. It's scary. There's still horror there. Have you seen the movie Krampus? Yeah. Uh, yes, I have. Yes, actually. And that was fun. Pretty straightforward little fun family Christmas movie that is just scary enough. And it's exactly what you're saying. Like, the implied thing is like if you don't like believe in the magic of Christmas, there's like a horror element to it. And it's that yep. same sort of like fascination with something being scary about it, you know? And a lot of that goes back to, you know, things we've talked about on this podcast before with cryptids and stories of, you know, various things that it kind of is at the end of the day. Christmas is for as much as people are like, it's a religious holiday. It is also a secular get your kids to be good for a full year holiday. Yeah. The, the yeah. trick and gimmick is you won't get gifts if you aren't good. And it's the same thing. It's on the exact same level. It's like, if you walk out onto the ice, the monster will pull you under. We literally have elf on a shelf now where parents can be like, They'll watch you watching yeah. you. It's just like, yeah, it's really it's, creepy. It's almost like though, like adding horror to, to us, to a meme in culture is like the same as like putting a thumbnail of somebody like in front of it to like, yeah, get you to like, remember it and pay attention to it. Yeah. For our podcast listeners, Alex is making the surprised open, open mouth face that you see on <laughs> pretty much every very popular YouTube video out there. Well, thank you, Jesse. What a, that is a great yeah. topic. I appreciate that. I love like, yeah, the, the history of like pagan, like practices and rituals mixed in with Christianity as that turning of the, of the times. It's fascinating because there's so much of like wor- saint worship in some ways built from people who were still practicing pagan ri- like uh, uh, prayer, but like disguising it under Christianity so they didn't get in trouble. That also like mixes in is a whole other topic. And it also speaks to humanity in general. The idea that the reason why Christianity took off and became as popular as it was, wasn't because it was like forced on people. It's because they mixed it with other mm-hmm. things on the low, and so people can be more accepting of what it was, and that's kind of what humanity should be doing at all times. Like, look, you and I disagree. Where can we find consensus on this and, like, mm-hmm. figure it out? And that's what they did with most things in history. Christianity is just one example for this topic, but most things in history were like, okay, we're at an impasse. How do we fix this? It's either that or they kill each other. No, it's like, we've killed a lot of you. It hasn't worked yet. Can we find a middle ground? If the answer is no, back to killing each other. <laughs> if the answer is yes, all right, we can kind of move on. Yeah, it's wild, but that's humanity, baby. Yeah, yeah, for better or for worse. Well, thank you guys, everybody, for listening. Enjoy your holidays. May, may they be fun, safe. Hope you get everything you want. If you're getting anything, I hope you, if you're not getting anything, you just have a good, relaxing uh, day for that day. Merry Christmas, everyone. You know, on that, we're out of here. Uh, Patreon.com slash Illuminati Pod for the mini-sode this week. Patreon.com slash Illuminati Pod, everyone. Anyway, me and my wife were sitting outside indulging on our porch one night, enjoying ourselves. I needed to go to the bathroom, so I stepped back inside, and after a few moments, I hear my wife go, Holy shit, get out here. So I quickly dash back outside, and she's looking up at the sky in awe. I look up too, and there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky.